0: Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's three chapters, it's a lot. Uh, But we're at the worship of the kingdom servants today. The worship of the kingdom servants. Uh, We'll start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And we've looked at so far the character of a kingdom servant, the job of a kingdom servant, the righteousness of a kingdom servant. Last week we looked at the standards for a kingdom servant, and today we're looking at the worship, the proper, authentic, genuine worship of a servant of the king of kings. The first week, real quick, we looked at how to be, that Jesus tells us how to be happy, satisfied, and fortunate are those who have the correct heart towards their sin, their Lord Jesus, and towards the world. Nothing shakes them. Then we looked at the job of the kingdom servant, which is to bring the God flavors and the God colors out of the world, to bring his kingdom to the world, to bring heaven to earth. Uh, And by doing that, we make people open up to the idea that God loves them, cares for them, and wants to save them and have a relationship with them. And then we looked at... The righteousness of a, of a kingdom servant. Jesus has fulfilled the law of righteousness, the ceremonial law, the sacrificial blood uh, law has been fulfilled in Jesus. And he expects that by faith that we live up to the law's high standard, which is loving God by loving each other, honoring God by honoring and loving and helping each other. Uh, and then last week we looked at, and it was a lot and i uh, I feel like we really didn't drive this home, but I, so I want to make sure we get this today. When you can be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, then only, then and only then can you judge who is righteous and unrighteous. And we know that we can't be, we are not perfect. That's the whole point of the entire thing. That the standard is perfection, but perfection is unobtainable. So the actual standard is just a surrendered heart. That's what God's calling us for, a surrendered heart. Another way Josh said this morning was to be available, to be available to God for what he wants to do in our lives. And we finished off with, the, with this statement. Holy, sanctified, complete maturity is the standard for a kingdom servant. You have to be surrendered to God. And only with a repentant, born-again, transformed heart, God makes you new, is it even possible to even do the good works that God has put before us before time began? So that's where we are with all that. Uh, and then, today we're digging in to the worship of a kingdom, sir. So, uh, <laughs> love it. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> as we get into that, anybody in here a baseball card collector? Anybody in here like to collect baseball cards? Got a few? Got a few? Okay. Uh, I used to, when I was, when I was younger... I never got any good ones. Uh, I've still got a, my mom still has a few buckets of them at my house. I looked through them a couple of years ago, hoping I'd find, you know, one that was like worth a bazillion dollars, but I didn't. Um, but baseball cards, you know, that, that through the years they've they've retained their value. They've they're still cool. Um, they were cool when I was eight, and I got a stick a gum with it, um, which was the coolest part then. And they're still cool now. Uh, they they kind of have the history of you know the, of the game and things like that. And there's things that make uh, baseball cards valuable. Okay? One of the major things is who the baseball card is of. Who is the player on the card? Right? If it's Joe Blow, the terrible hitter, nobody cares about his baseball card. Right? But if it's tied to some history or if the player was, was really good, or if there's a good story about the card, that can, that can really uh, increase the value of the card um, it, it, depending on the, on the condition of the card. Right? The actual physical card, how are the edges, how is the coloring, how, how faded is it, how, you know, how, how pristine is its condition. Right? So three, the top three most valuable baseball cards currently, All right? starting with three, going to one. The third one most valuable is Babe Ruth. Okay? Babe Ruth, if you don't know, is the Great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Clout, or the Babe. If you've ever watched the Sandlot, you at least know that. He was the first global star, right? He was the first one, he made six-figure salaries when he played in the 20s and 30s, which was unheard of. He was the first one to really be an international superstar uh, for baseball. And he was on the all-century team, right? And you know that he, he had the home run record for a long time. It was eventually broken by Hank Aaron and then again by Barry Bonds, uh, although he did it without the things Barry Bonds did it with. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this. And this this iconic card specifically is the one that is so valuable. It's a 1933 Goudet number 53, and it sold in July of 21 for $4.2 million. The second most valuable baseball card currently is of Mickey Mantle, right? Mickey Mantle uh, played for the Yankees, uh, had a great career. He was injury-riddled. If he hadn't been injury-riddled, there's no telling the numbers he would have set. Um, regarded as the best switch hitter in the history of the major leagues, right? He finished his career with 536 home runs. I have a saying of his that I keep in my office. Uh, it says, uh, I was once asked if I, ever tried to, if I ever tried to hit a home run when I was going up to bat, and he said, sure, every time. I love that mentality. Go for it, right? Go for the home run. The iconic card, this one right here, 1952 tops number three, three uh, 311. It sold for $5.2 million in 2021. And the most famous card, uh, or the most valuable card, excuse me, uh, currently in the baseball card history, anybody know who it is? boy. Honus Wagner, okay? He's a shortstop way back in the day. So if you're just a casual baseball fan, you probably had no idea that that was coming. He was known as the Flying Dutchman. He had 3,420 hits and 723 stolen bases. He was like the guy in baseball Uh, the standard until Babe Ruth came along the the card here that is on the screen is the 1911 American Tobacco Company T206 which sold for 6.6 million dollars in August of 21 and he was also part of the original baseball hall of fame class which is how I found out who he was when I went through the baseball hall of fame 10 or 11 years ago what's the point of all this here's the point the card has to be pristine. It has to be someone that matters on the card. There's a whole lot of things that go into making the card valuable. But the number one thing that makes a baseball card valuable, valuable is it actually has to be an authentic card. It can't be a reprint. It can't be counterfeit. If it's not an actual, authentic, sincere, genuine baseball card of that actual marking from that actual company and all those things than the fact that it's in great condition and it's of honus wagner and it's all those other things if it's not an authentic car it doesn't matter it has no value to anyone that wants to collect it as we get into our worship this morning that is definitely ties in to how jesus views our worship the authenticity of it starting in verse 48 of chapter 5 because it ties in with where we're starting today Let's read together. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. This is how to be perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of the people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your hand know what your right hand is doing. Your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. When you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Whenever you fast, don't be sad like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive. So their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've got their reward. Last couple of verses. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? Three common acts... Three common acts of worship, Jesus defines what is proper and what is not. Three common things, three things really that the Pharisees kind of had elevated to to how to be super God follower, right? These these things specifically, you were were definitely showing your righteousness. You were definitely a righteous person. If you you were an almsgiver, right, this isn't a sacrifice to the temple. This isn't a tithe to the temple. This is almsgiving. This is way up and above. This is just giving to the needy. That's what the, the word means. It, 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 it literally means acts of mercy, but it had become to be synonymous with giving to the needy, giving to someone that needs help, right? And, and so if you're giving to the needy, then you're definitely righteous, right? And if I'm standing up here praying, then I'm definitely righteous, right? And so, and so Jesus picks these three things Specifically because he's hitting at the self-righteousness and the things he despised about the Pharisees and that's what we're digging into today. And so the thesis for this section, this little these three things is, is the statement there in the first verse, "Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to be seen by them, otherwise you will have no reward from your father in heaven okay we, we Scott said this last night, and and, and I'd already read it in the commentary before he said that, and it's funny how things like that work out. We default to works righteousness. That's, That's who we are. We default to that. We want to do good and be seen doing good and be justified by that fact. And Jesus is saying, be careful With that mindset, be careful with that mindset. It is wrong. It is not authentic. It is not what I desire. It's not what God the Father desires. But this is this is kind of the this this statement right here is is the point of the three things that he goes into. And, And understand this as we get into these. It's not the act itself that is wrong. The same act can be right or wrong, depending on the why behind the act. It's the why behind the act. It's the heart behind the act. It's, it's the desire of the, the act. Right? So Jesus chooses three normal acts of worship that the Pharisees had ridden, risen up to be how to be a super worshiper of God. And he gets right smack dab to the heart of it. And he starts with, so whenever you give to the poor. So whenever you give to the poor. Notice what's not in that statement. So if you give to the poor. He didn't say that. He didn't say if you give to those who need. He says, so whenever you do, it's an expectation. The acts of mercy, the almsgiving, the giving to the needy, the pitching in and making life go when you've been blessed a little more financially than others, that's part of it. Jesus says right off the bat without having to say it. He says, when you do that, don't do it like those people over there. Don't do it like the Pharisees and the scribes. Don't do it like the hypocrites. Hypocrites in Jesus's vernacular. It starts here, but it it becomes just the common term for the Pharisees and the scribes, right? That's just how he did, that's just how he refers to them. Pretty much from here on out, which I think is hilarious. But that's neither here nor there. Don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. We've talked about before. He's not literally saying this, but it's kind of an allusion to the temple boxes where you gave your money, where you gave your offering, right? And when you did that, it was a trumpet-looking thing that came out of the box, and when you threw that into the box, it would clang and it would make noise, right? And so the harder you threw it and the more you threw in there, the louder and more recognizable it would be, right? The, the, the equivalent to today, hand me your phone, Dad. The equivalent today is this right here. Right Now, it's the heart behind it, because sometimes the heart behind this is right, but it's like you pull out the $100 bill, and you're like, <laughs> right? Same, same, same thing today. I'll hold this up here so you can focus. All right. <laughs> right? You take out the $20 bill, and you, and, you, and you hand it to the person, right? You give it to the person, and if nobody sees it, it's almost like, well, man, that, that really wasn't even worth it, was it? Well, <laughs> hashtag sold out for Jesus, right? Or whatever we do. And we've all done it, right? And sometimes we're doing those things with the right motive. Oftentimes we're not. Oftentimes what we're doing is patronizing and demeaning the person that we're trying to help. At their expense, we're feeling good about ourselves and that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He says, so don't do that, right? They they what is your heart? What is your motive? What are you trying to accomplish By your almsgiving, by your giving to the needy, right? So, in other words, the motive, the heart, determines the result. That's what Jesus is concerned about. When you do it so that you can be seen, you get the glory. Man, did you see what so-and-so, how much they gave? That is so cool. That is awesome. You get the praise. You get the glory. But when we do it with the right motive, someone sees through the same exact act as a way and a reason to praise God for what He has done. What is the motive? Your de- motive, your heart behind it, determines the result. Right? So the, the, the thing here, the concern, is, is the tendency for us to compete with God's glory. That's what works righteousness is. Okay? And works righteousness doesn't exist. We think it does. But when we try to do good so that we think we are good... We're competing with God for his glory, and God won't stand for that. He just won't stand for it because we don't deserve that. Only he does, the creator, right? So, in other words, help people, not your ego. Don't help your ego. Help people when they need to be helped, but don't help your ego. Isaiah says it like this. If you go back to, to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He says, the Lord said, because these people approach me with their mouth and honor me with lip service, yet their hearts Are far from me and their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote right Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 verse 10 that the person believes with the heart and that results in righteousness not the acts not the good works catch this Jesus follower (laughs) Ephesians 2 10 says that Jesus created those works before you were even born The good works you think you're doing for your own sake to make you good and righteous, you couldn't even have done them if God hadn't planned it in the first place. It's so such a waste of time for us to try to live up to righteousness by our own works. But the same act can have a great result when it's done for the right reason with the right heart. And he says, these people, these people, right, they got their reward. I assure you," he says. "I assure you, they've got their the reward." Amen and amen, right? I assure you. I tell you the truth. Thirty-two times Matthew uses that statement. I assure you. I tell you the truth. What would what would that happen? What would you do if you were listening to Jesus and he says, "I assure you," "I assure you," you'd listen, right? Your ears would perk up. That's why he does that. I assure you, they've got their reward. He's preparing their ear to hear something important. They're going to get what they're going to get, and that's it. That's all they're going to get. They're not going to get anything. that that they want. So where's another example of this happening, right? Let's check this out. Acts chapter 5, okay? The result of giving to impress people instead of being sincere before the Lord. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and keep back part of the proceeds of the field. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Catch that. You have not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. This is Acts chapter 5, for those who taking notes. There was an interval of about three hours. Then his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the field for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. What is the point? The point is that they tried to act like they were giving everything that they had earned from that property sale. It's not that they didn't give everything. God didn't call them to do that. He didn't ask them to do that. What he asked them to do was be sincere. If they, if they sold it for 100 bucks, but they're only giving 50 or they're only given 10, or they're given 75, or whatever it is. Just be real about it. Right? But that's not what they're doing. They're not doing something to honor God. They're doing something so they get honored. They wanted to look special. They wanted to look like they were super, super generous people. Right? So they sold the property for 100 bucks, but they give 50, and then Peter says, was that the sale price? Is that how much you sold the property for? Yep, sure was. And God says, right? Whew. That's kind of scary. <laughs> what if we, what if we started like having an offering plate right here? And when you walked by and gave your offering, I'm like, is that a tithe? Are you sure that's a tithe? <laughs> is that actually 10%? I mean, if it is, or if it isn't, it doesn't matter. But if I asked you and you said right here before and front of everybody, it was, but it wasn't, it's the exact same thing they're doing. What, what's the point? The point is God absolutely despises appearances that are not reality. He despises that. That's what hypocrisy is. It's pretending to be something you're not. If you're not giving the entire price of the property, just say you're not. I mean, think about it. If you sold the property for a hundred bucks and you gave 10 or 20 bucks out of that to the church, to the, to the needy, to whoever, that's still awesome. It's not the amount, it's the fact that you give, even at all, is a good thing. Just be real about it, be honest. Don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus is saying. But when you give to the poor, don't be like them, but Jesus says, but you, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's an emphatic you Like, you would have caught that if you were hearing it said, and Jesus said it. That that emphasis on the you would have been like, okay, that's how the hypocrites are doing it, the Pharisees and the scribes. But you, my kingdom servants, my followers, my disciples, my people, you have to be different than that. You have to worship authentically, my kingdom servants, right? Who's he talking to? Remember, I know we've been in this so long, we forget. Chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right? The crowds were around, but then Jesus sat down. And his disciples drew near. He's teaching his disciples, his true followers, his servants, right? And when he says here about, about they'll receive their reward, but your follower will reward you, the way the, the language kind of says it, it's like the hypocrites are getting their wage. They're getting what they deserve, okay? What, as opposed to what God is going to reward so, that, so the idea here is this repayment. Like if you, if you do it for man's approval, you'll get man's approval, and it'll be equal basically to what you've done, and that's pretty much all you're going to get. But when you do it with the right heart, with the right motive, and you get God's reward, you get God's disproportionate grace. He gives way more back than we could ever give to Him. He's saying, so choose for yourself. Choose which way you want to be rewarded. You want to be rewarded by man, or you want to be rewarded by God. God judges the heart. Man judges the outside. In other words, do all you can to avoid drawing attention to yourself. Do everything you can to draw attention to the Lord, but do all that you can to not draw attention to yourself. I like it the way the the Holman commentary says it. It says, the gift from the heart is given out of love for the Father, and the reward is returned as to a dearly beloved son. Anything we do for each other should be done for the father. Yes, it benefits you, or when you do something to me, it benefits me, but it should be done out of love for the father, trusting that the father is going to give back to his dearly beloved son, just like a good earthly father does the exact same thing for his kids. Then he moves on. He says, whenever you pray, first is giving, second is prayer. Now, when you pray... Notice it doesn't say if you pray. It says whenever you pray. Now, we talked in depth about this in our Talking to Jesus uh, series back in the late August, early September. So we're not going to hit this real, real, real deep. If you, if you want to hit this real deep, go back to that series. It's on the website. And, and we get deep into the, into the disciples' prayer and all those types of things. But catch that. The expectation of prayer is there. You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. The word standing and the way it says it right there is, is, is like it has a, a time period kind of tied to it right to be standing up in front of everyone is saying that you're you're making a big show and a big production out of it right and the street here that the emphasis there would be like a wide street it would be a popular street it would be a street where people would be right and and and, and there wasn't there you didn't pray on the street corners right but if you were a super strict you know, religious type, Pharisaic type Jew, you had an afternoon prayer time. You were supposed to have an afternoon prayer time. So if you were really wanting people to see you, then you could make sure that you just happened to stroll right to the corner of the big wide street where there was a whole bunch of people right at the, oh man, it's afternoon prayer time. I have to stand here and pray in front of all you guys so you can see how, how, how close I am with God and how, how devoted I am to him. That's what Jesus is, is implying here with these words. Our equivalent would kind of be like Wayne coming up here today right? Wayne comes up here today, tells a funny story like he generally tends to do, and then prays for us. Great. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with public prayer. There's nothing wrong with, not only is there nothing wrong with it, it's needed. It's necessary. Communal prayer together is a great thing. But if that is the only time Wayne prays, then that's a problem. That's what Jesus is saying, right? We don't want to come up here as leaders in the church, and pray. I don't want to stand here and pray where we all can hear it, but I'm not spending time in communion with God myself one on one. Standing here praying but not doing that means I want you to think that I'm really close to God and I really I'm really good at this prayer thing. And Jesus is saying, "Hmm, not so big on that." He says, "But when you pray again, the same word, the same contrast, hypocrites, but when you do it, my people, you" Right? That emphatic you gets their attention. It says when you do it, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to the Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This word here is like an inner room. Closet would be our would be our kind of equivalent. Right? It's a it's a storeroom inside the house. It's probably a windowless room. So if you're in there doing this, nobody could possibly see you. It's probably possibly, we don't know for sure, but Sometimes, many times, this was the only lockable door in the house. So Jesus is saying, go into the room in the center of the house with no windows, with the door that you can actually lock so that you can spend one-on-one time with the Father in prayer. Do it right. Biblical prayer is an act of faith. It's expressing our dependence on God. Repetition and praying for the big things that we're trying to do is, is, is manipulation of people and it's trying to manipulate God. The kingdom servant wants to spend time with the king. Right? The disciple, he wants to commune with the father. The son and the daughter of God wants to commune. He wants to spend time with his father. If you don't want time with God, then you don't want heaven. Why would God bring you to heaven if you don't want to spend time with him? It's a relationship. It's an important part of the relationship. And then on this specific aspect, he doesn't stop with the hypocrites. He expands. right? He keeps going. He says, but when you pray, don't babble like the idolaters. So now we're past the Pharisees and the scribes and the hypocrites. Now we're, going past, now we're going on to the non-believers, the pagans, the, the Gentiles, however your translation may say it. Don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. And we say this sometimes. I heard that If God already knows what I need, then why do I even need to say it? Because you're not informing God of what you need. You're spending time with Him so that He can give you what you need, which ultimately is a changed heart and a heart that longs and desires after Him. Right? So, what we, what we can't do is try to manipulate God into compliance. And sometimes that's what we do, right? I need my prayer warriors. Now, if you've said this recently, I'm not thinking of you, okay? This is just proverbially. There's nothing wrong with saying this. I'm talking about saying these types of things with the wrong heart from the wrong motivation. I need my prayer warriors to really be praying, right? Because if we get enough people praying and they pray the right way with the right words and we talk about it enough, then somehow God is obligated to do whatever it is we're praying about. That's just not true. That's just not true. But we should get our prayer warriors together and we should pray about it. But we should be doing that with a desire to know what to do for each other and to spend time with God so that he can give us that power, that information, that whatever it is, that desire inside of us to do whatever it is. But, but don't think that if, you, if, if you're at 99 prayer warriors that the person you're praying for that has cancer isn't going to get healed. But if you get to 100, well then that's, you know, that's the magic number. Once you get to 100, then now God has to because we've got so many people praying about it. It's the desire, the motivation behind it. We can't manipulate God into compliance, into our will. He desires for us to be compliant with his will and his will is best. Now this story coming from the Old Testament is one of my favorites. Some of you know this, right? Probably because there's a little bit of sarcasm in there. Fault on me, right? Character flaw in your pastor. I like sarcasm. I think it's hilarious. First Kings chapter 18. This is when Elijah is on Mount Carmel. And there's a there's a there's a battle of the gods taking place. And the, and the and the, the prophets of Baal they have to make their bull be consumed by fire and then elijah says he'll make the real god consume the bull by fire he'll he'll ask god to do that and he and and, and there's this big showdown right and so the bull is set and the altar's set and the people are all around and everything's about to happen and then it's and, and elijah says all right you guys go first pray to your god and, and let's see what happens first king chapter 18 the last half of chapter verse 26 says this then they, the prophets of Baal, called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Talking about the repetition here Baal, answer us! Baal, answer us! Baal, answer us! They shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Just picture this scene. Picture the scene. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them Shout louder! <laughs> Shout louder, Bill, hello. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought, right? Maybe he's busy or he's traveling. You got to get his attention. Maybe he is sleeping and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention because they're praying to something that isn't real. But They sure were putting the energy into it. Don't do that, Jesus says. Don't be like that. He says, therefore, do it like this. You should pray like this. Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He's, again, he's not forbidding public prayer. There's nothing wrong with public prayer. But only public prayer and never private prayer is a problem. He's saying, look, it, this is God we're talking about. I just clicked on the wrong slide again. What did I do? Where would it go? There we, go. there we go. Thumb spasm. He's saying, look, just have a simple conversation. Just be real. When you pray to God, honor Him for the honor He deserves. Talk about your needs, right? Honor God. Talk about your needs. Desire the power to forgive. Ask for the power to forgive for that unforgivable thing that's been done to you, right? Because God has forgiven unforgivable things that you have done right? Desire the power to forgive out of the recognition of your need for forgiveness. Pray against evil. Pray against all these things. Pray for more than just a good day. Many of you have heard me say that so many times, you're probably tired of hearing me say that. Like If that's the extent of our prayers, they should be bigger than that. I don't know, maybe pray for a miracle like someone coming to salvation, coming to salvation, coming to repentance and placing their faith in Jesus. Pray for the things that matter. Just make it simple. It's not a magic formula. And then he doubles down on the forgiveness. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. He doubles down on that idea that our prayer, a lot of it should be about the power and the desire to forgive each other. Because without forgiveness, relationships are impossible. Say that one more time. Without forgiveness, Relationships are impossible. We have to be able to forgive in order to have relationships with each other because we're going to mess it up. We're going to mess it up. Then the last thing he finishes with when you fast. Notice again, what's not in there. Sorry about that one. Not if you fast, when you fast. Now, it's not commanded. I'm going to put that on the front end. It's not commanded that we have to fast, but this one specifically was like the super, super thing for the Pharisees. They fasted twice a week and they let you know about it. And if you weren't fasting twice a week, well, you just weren't really a very good Jew. You weren't doing the things the way that you should be doing. He says, when you do it, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be sad faced. They walk around all, poor me. I'm fasting. I'm so pious. I'm such a devoted follower of god they want to make it so obvious to people that they're fasting now i'll be honest with you you ain't never fasted you don't know how hard that is to not do i'm just telling you fast for 24 hours go from 6 p.m to the next 6 p.m and tell me how hard it is to not go <laughs> i'm fasting <laughs> i'm so hungry i'm telling you the first time i did a 24-hour fast I thought about the fact that Jesus fasted for 40 days, and I'm like, got to be God. (laughs) Got to be God. You can fast for 40 days, I'm just telling you. That's unbelievable. He says, don't be like that. And again, I assure you, I tell you the truth, listen, they get the reward. How you say, oh, wow, you're so special for fasting so much, that's what they get. That's it. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people, but your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Sum this up real quick so we don't go too long today. The main thing he's saying here is just take great care when you're making a sacrifice like fasting in order to spend time with God. That's the point of fasting, by the way, is to spend more time in prayer to seek God, to have more time and focus to seek God, whatever you could fast from, that's the point of prayer, of of fasting. Whenever you do that, just try to act as normally as possible. And that's a difficult, difficult thing to do because that sin thing in you is gonna wanna shout to the world how much you're sacrificing for God. Challenge you to try it and see if I'm lying to you. It's hard. For once, I'll give a little sympathy to the Pharisees. It's hard not to do that. Right? So the point is not that there's a specific way to fast. The point is, if you decide to do that, to set aside time to get closer to God, just be as normal about your rest of your daily living as you can to draw attention not to yourself at all. But just trust God that he will reward you how he sees fit. Let's sum it up real quick. Jesus says that real worship... What he wants from us is for us to just be sincere. Be sincere. Be honest, transparent, and caring. That's how we define sincere here. Be honest, transparent, and caring in what you do. Be sincere in your mercy or your almsgiving. We could extend it past just finances. Be sincere in your mercy, your prayers, and your sacrifices. Fasting is is a sacrifice, there's more than just that. Be sincere. In your mercy, your prayers, and your sacrifices, don't be a hypocrite. And specifically in our worship, the whole point of worship, any act of worship, is to honor God, not to be recognized by people. And if you'll be honest with yourself and you'll look in a mirror, your, 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 your wretchedness, your sin will come out when you think of worship this way. And you think of how much you desire to be recognized by people for what you do for God. That's normal, but normal doesn't mean right. God says, pray to me for the ability to not do that. Pray to me for the power to worship me for real, regardless, as if anyone ever, ever knows. True worship is seeking Seeking to honor God whether people know it or not. Fake worship is showing how you honor God so you can be honored by people. And God despises that with a passion. So I'll finish with this. Imagine this with me. We'll be done. Imagine with me if this church, or any church for that matter, but specifically this church, this group of assembled people, Imagine if we all sought genuine sincerity in our worship, in all of our acts of worship. When we sing together, when we give, when we pray, if we fast, sacrifice, however you want to put it. We sought to honor God and only honor God, whether anybody knew about it ever at all, and trusted that his reward for that is much greater than anything man could ever bestow on you. What would that church look like? And what would that church accomplish? Let those questions just ring in our heads as we finish in prayer. God, thank you for Jesus, for the price that was paid for us on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you, God. We could begin it now and that we could continue it forever. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you are the great forgiver. Lord, give us the desire to forgive. Give us the desire to be merciful. Give us the desire to want what is you and to want the things of you and to want to obey you. Lord, And give us the power to do that as well, God. Give us the heart to want to honor you and not be worried about the worldly honor we get for anything good that we do because anything good we do comes from you and was set into motion by you from eternity past. Lord, may we trust in you for all things we need, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.